This is Understand South Carolina, a news podcast from the Post and Courier. I'm Emily Williams. We've been talking a lot on this show about ethical concerns, complaints, and investigations about public officials in South Carolina. As we've talked about on our episodes about the Post and Courier's ongoing Uncovered series, these systems for holding public servants accountable often lack transparency. But there are few systems as cloaked in secrecy as South Carolina's method for overseeing judges. Today, reporters Joey Craney and Avery Wilkes are with us to explain how judges in our state have been able to remain on the bench for years, despite serious allegations about their character and impartiality. My name is Joey Craney. I'm an investigative reporter in Columbia. And for our Uncovered project, I think I've taken a particular interest in officials who work for special districts and also judges. I'm Avery Wilkes. I am a projects reporter here at the Columbia Bureau. And I've also been working on the Uncovered project, focusing on special purpose districts with Joey, as well as issues with uh, local public officials and, and ethics issues. So in South Carolina, when someone makes an ethics complaint against a judge, what happens? Where does it go? South Carolina has a relatively obscure agency that receives complaints against judges and also lawyers. It's called the Office of Disciplinary Counsel. It's basically an investigative arm of the Supreme Court. Um, They receive 200 to 300 complaints against judges every year. And when they receive the complaints, they begin investigating. For people on the other end of that process, not much else happens. You forward your concerns. The office writes you back, indicating whether or not they will be opening an investigation. And then in many cases, complainants, the people who file the complaints, don't hear back from the agency until the investigation is completed, which could take a period of months. And as our reporting has shown, uh, sometimes takes years. So what do we know about that that agency, the Disciplinary Council's office? Do we know who works there or how many people work there? Do we know any details about it and how it operates? It's kind of difficult to determine some of those details because the agency's duty is to work in secret. We know that they have a chief dis- disciplinary council, uh, a lawyer named John Nichols. We know he has a deputy. We know that the agency is tasked with hiring investigators, people whose job it is, is to, to pour over these complaints um, and gather additional facts to determine if there's any misconduct. For our most recent story, we tried to find out more about the agency, and an agency spokeswoman declined to answer most of our questions. They did not even tell us how many people work for the agency. We know that the agency has 14 budgeted positions, um, and that lawmakers recently approved an increase, I think, to 21 positions, but we don't know whether or not those slots are actually filled, which is significant because uh, we've heard from people who file complaints that the process can take a really long time, which raises the question of whether or not they have adequate staffing. And um, unfortunately, we, we just don't really know the answer to that question. So in other installments of this Uncovered series and also in other episodes of this podcast when we've been discussing it, we've been talking about how disciplinary processes for 
a lot of different public officials uh, lack transparency. But you wrote that few systems are as lenient and cloaked in secrecy as this one for judges. So why is that? Kind of putting this into context with other types of public officials and in, in those processes. One reason that the Office of Disciplinary Counsel's method of investigating judges is is more secretive. Uh, it, it's obviously set up to protect the reputation of the judges and to protect the perception of the judiciary in general and the justice system as impartial, uh, as a, above uh, above perceptions of ethical lapses. And, and so these, you know, these investigations, these probes are not publicly available. You can't go to the ODC and request a list of the, the judges under investigation. And in many cases on, on the back end, you can't even find out how the case was resolved. You know, you can't determine, you know, in many cases, if there's a reprimand or if there's a warning against a judge, public doesn't get to know that. The ODC does not publicize that. So you've got members of the public who may be coming before judges who have been disciplined by state officials, uh, by the Justice Department, and you have no idea. So that's a little bit different. You know, there are other mechanisms in South Carolina of investigating ethical lapses, misconduct that are pretty secretive as well. But in terms of policing judges, it's it's certainly a lot less open about what actually happened in these cases. And even the people who bring complaints against judges are are left in the dark for months, years at a time as their case unfolds. And they have no idea how seriously their complaint has been taken. Uh, they have no idea what investigators are doing to find out if the complaint is true. And they're, they're basically in the dark until the cases resolved. And even then, they, they don't always know how it was resolved, whether the judge was removed from office, whether the judge was reprimanded or, or warned. So really, once they file that complaint, they're, they're turning over the reins and they don't have any idea what's going on for months or years at a time. It's the result of a very unusual system in South Carolina for appointing and overseeing judges. South Carolina is one of two states where lawmakers directly elect judges. And what we've seen result from that system is a pretty uh, unusually cozy relationship between lawmakers and judges. It's a state where lawmakers have carved out significant exceptions to the Freedom of Information Act for judges. For other public officials, reporters and the public can get access to public records as routine as their calendars or their emails. For judges, that's not the case. Um, all of that record, all of those records are kept secret. The other notable exception is um, the state's disciplinary process for judges allows judges to accept disciplinary actions privately. And that's different than some of the other cases we've seen with the State Ethics Commission, which polices other public officials. The disciplinary system for judges commonly hands out disciplinary actions in private, where you have judges just privately admonished for some of their behavior. And um, that completely leaves the public in the dark on some of the alleged behavior included in these complaints. What are the different kinds of judges, if we can go over that? And then also, are they all under the same disciplinary process? 
The Office of Disciplinary Counsel, which is the uh, investigative agency, reviews complaints against all of the state's judges. And that includes the lowest level judges, which are the judges of South Carolina's municipal courts and magistrate's courts. It would include other judges who handle more private or civil matters like probate judges, family court judges, uh, masters in equity who handle real estate matters. Um, And then it also includes the state's most influential and significant judges who are the circuit judges who handle all felony and major civil cases. And it also includes appellate judges and the state's Supreme Court justices. What we've seen is a really uneven system of oversight and accountability for those judges. South Carolina has a very rigorous process for appointing its circuit judges. They have to be screened before a legislative panel. For magistrates and municipal judges and other judges, they didn't have to go through that process. So really the only agency responsible for overseeing the low-level judges like magistrates and municipal court judges is the Office of Disciplinary Counsel. Um, so that's why some people we interviewed for the article told us that it's, it's so critical that that agency works quickly and takes those allegations seriously because they're, they're really the only people minding the store for those judges. Now, Joey, you worked with ProPublica in 2019 to report on the, this issue of transparency and, and discipline for South Carolina's judges, specifically looked at the state's circuit judges and the fact that none of them had been publicly sanctioned for, for decades, despite having many ethical complaints against them. Can you explain a little bit of, in this latest report in this story for Uncovered, some of the, the new information that you that you looked into, kind of adding on to what you'd found in 2019? I think the most striking update is that we reported on several significant concerns about sitting judges in 2019. That was one of the things we set out to do was to gain access to some of these allegations that judges were allowed to face in secret. And through our reporting, we were able to do that. We published one really notable complaint against a magistrate judge in Chester County, alleging that she had significant conflicts of interest with the local sheriff's department, which at the time was run by her husband. We made that complaint public in 2019. And To be honest, we kind of expected that it might lead to some public action against the judge. What stands out two years later is that nothing has happened. Through our latest reporting, we've learned just how delayed these investigations can become. Speaking more with people who file complaints, how significant those delays can be for them and just how frustrating the whole process becomes when you file a complaint against a judge and you, you, you think that that person has done something unethical or even illegal, and two years later, court officials have done nothing, you can imagine how frustrating and disillusioned some of these people feel who, who file these complaints. Let's talk about an example of an instance where, like you said, you actually were able to speak with the people who filed the complaint and had concerns about this process and about how long this process takes. And that was related to an investigation of a, of a municipal judge in South Carolina. So could you explain first why was that 
judge being investigated? Who submitted that complaint? The case involved a municipal judge in Orangeburg County. Her brother-in-law filed a complaint with the Office of Disciplinary Counsel and with law enforcement, alleging that the judge effectively stole money from a real estate sale that her family was handling. It had to do with the sale of property. The family received more than $5,000 through the sale. The judge, who was also a lawyer, was supposed to take that money and use it to pay off some back taxes that the family owed on some other property. The judge acknowledged later that she was supposed to do that, but she did not. She deposited the money into a bank account that she and her husband owned and the taxes went unpaid for a period of years. The family ended up losing several several pieces of property and an agreement to sell that property, which would have resulted in a significant amount of income to them. So for the family, for the brother-in-law uh, and his wife who filed this complaint, this was a sitting judge who they allege effectively stole money from them and they to seek recourse they reached out to the Office of Disciplinary Counsel, and they also reached out to law enforcement, and the state law enforcement division opened an investigation. So those allegations, of course, weren't directly related to her work as a judge, but let's explain why does that matter, especially maybe for someone who lives in that area might be facing her as a judge in a case. In South Carolina and everywhere, we hold judges to the highest ethical standard. They are the arbiters of our justice system, which is why certain elements of their uh, job responsibilities, like their character, is actually built into their expectations, and which is why, which is why we have systems of professional discipline and judicial discipline where officials can receive complaints alleging things like a judge who might have false character. The fact that in this case, the judge seemed to be mishandling money or is alleged to have been mishandling money is also significant because municipal judges do have oversight of public money. And that would be a matter of public interest for anyone living in those communities where the judge, you know, occasionally does handle public money, you know, fees that come in from from court hearings and such. So you spoke with this judge's brother-in-law who filed those complaints and also discussed how this affected his family. What did he have to share about this process and how the judge's alleged handling of this of this money affected him? For the family, this was this was a very big deal. This was property that was owned by their father and they had every intention to sell it and make some money. They had a contract to sell three of the properties, which would have netted the family $50,000. So the judge's brother-in-law and his wife, they have an adult son who lives with severe autism. And in recent years, they've been trying to basically plan their estate because he is going to require around the, the clock care for the rest of his life. So what that couple told us through the course of our reporting was, you know, this was a great opportunity to, to make some money for their son. And when the judge declined to pay the taxes and they lost those properties, they lost that agreement to make that money. So for them, this, this could hardly be a bigger deal. 
Now, did the judge herself have any response to your questions about about this case? She denied doing anything illegal or improper. We should also note that SLED, South Carolina law enforcement, uh, investigated the case and ultimately prosecutors and law enforcement declined to bring charges. They they concluded this was a, a matter more civil in nature. The Office of Disciplinary Counsel, meanwhile, they received their initial complaint into this case um, in December 2018. Their standard for whether or not the judge did anything wrong would be far different than the criminal legal standard that law enforcement have to, would have to consider. However, the disciplinary office, more than two years later, has not wrapped up its case. As far as the complainants know, the case is still pending. Hello, this is Tony Bartlemy, investigative projects reporter for The Post and Courier. Few newspapers do the kind of investigative work that we do here at The Post and Courier. We spend months digging deep into issues, looking for patterns, hunting for things some people want to hide. We've done stories about greed and betrayal. We've exposed corruption at the State House and beyond. Our goal, tell stories that help our readers make better sense of the world around them. Learn more at postandcourier.com backslash subscribe. So let's circle back to another case that you had mentioned earlier, and and that involves a Chester County magistrate. Let's first lay out the, the big ethical concern there that she was married to the sheriff, now former sheriff. What concerns did, did that bring up for people? So this is a case of Chester County Magistrate Angel Underwood, who had been appointed to the bench by former Senator Creighton Coleman. And Coleman recognized the potential concern right away because Angel Underwood's husband is Alex Underwood, who eventually ran for sheriff, which created a significant conflict because obviously you can't have a judge handling cases brought by her husband's department. There's an an obvious conflict of interest, an obvious bias there. However, she did just that for uh, more than a year. She handled over 100 traffic issues, uh, warrants, uh, cases, issues pertaining to her husband's department. The Supreme Court investigated that situation. They suspended her for more than a year, after which it was pretty clear she was not to be handling cases involving her husband's department anymore because of that conflict. Later, her husband, Alex Underwood, the sheriff, got into some trouble of his own. He was charged by federal prosecutors with abusing his power, spending public money improperly, flying first class to conferences, and then lying to cover it up. Uh, unlawfully arresting someone who had taunted him during a, uh, a manhunt uh, on a rural Chester County road, skimming money from his deputies who had worked DUI checkpoints, just a whole range of um, abuses of power that federal uh, investigators and prosecutors charged him with. 
And some of those did mention Angel by name, including the, the trip to Reno, Nevada. She attended that trip with him and later, in order to get the county to pay for it, uh, Underwood had, one of his deputies had a, um, basically the department's secretary white out Angel Underwood's name and replace it with the name of a deputy who did not go on that trip um, because they knew that if they sent that receipt to the county, the county would have rejected it because she wasn't supposed to be there. So she was named as part of that investigation several times. She was brought up during the trial, but that's never really been addressed by the ODC or by federal prosecutors. Nobody has charged her with any criminal conduct related to that, but She's sort of been tied up in these these ethical concerns for several years now in Chester County. Alexander Wood, of course, is no longer the sheriff there. And the new sheriff, Max Dorsey, filed his own complaint against Angel Underwood. So what was that? And is the disciplinary agency looking into it? So currently there are actually two complaints pending before the ODC into Angel Underwood. One was filed uh, more than two years ago by a former Chester County magistrate named Barbara Cameron. And she essentially alleged that even after Angel Underwood's suspension by the Supreme Court, she continued to be really intimately involved with the sheriff's department, which was run by her husband, the sheriff. The complaint alleged that Angel had huddled behind closed doors with Chester County deputies, um, that she had monitored the sheriff's office Facebook page and forwarded uh, tips to deputies to handle. Um, in, in one case, uh, asking a deputy to handle a, a complaint about a drug dealer uh, that was sent by one of her husband's biggest political supporters um, and, and urging that deputy to go handle that because that's that's one of her husband's political supporters. And, and even that she had actually continued to involve herself in, in cases involving her husband which, again, she had already been suspended a year for doing. Uh, Barbara Cameron alleged that Angel Underwood presided over a 2017 drunken driving case brought by her husband's department and then forged Barbara Cameron's name on a document to cover up Angel's involvement. So um, that was a complaint that was filed more than two years ago. And, uh, you know, the the complainant hasn't heard really anything uh, about where that's going. More recently, in March, the new sheriff of Chester County, Max Dorsey, who was appointed by the governor to replace Alex Underwood after Underwood's suspension um, and indictment, and then who defeated Alex Underwood in the 2020 general election, filed his own complaint against Angel Underwood, essentially saying that he had recently learned that Angel Underwood was again involving herself in sheriff's office matters. Uh, and that he still sees that as a conflict, even though the office is no longer run by Angel's husband. Essentially, his concern is that Angel Underwood may hold some sort of bias against him and his deputies because he ran against her husband and defeated him in the 2020 election. And his deputies, several of them, testified against her husband in the federal trial in April. So, and, and at least two of those are narcotics officers that need to regularly go before Chester County magistrates for arrest and search warrants. He wasn't saying that Angel Underwood had wronged the office in any way, that she had been rejecting warrants, 
Um, at least at that point, he wasn't alleging that. He was just alleging, I think there's a potential for a conflict of interest, and I, I want the Supreme Court to do something about it, to you know, take some sort of stance one way or another on whether they view this as a conflict. He didn't hear back from the Office of Disciplinary Counsel for almost three months until June 1st when they notified him that they were starting an investigation. And they only did that uh, or a few weeks after we began asking questions of ODC about that complaint. We had sent them a FOIA request about looking into that complaint and they had rejected it. And then a few days later, they actually opened the investigation um, into the complaint after sitting on it for more than two months. So now the ODC has two potential investigations into Angel Underwood sitting on their table. Now, Joey, going back to what you'd said earlier, that one of the surprising things was looking at how nothing had really changed in the last two years. Now, have any reforms been suggested? And if they have been, has there been any any action or, or progress on those suggestions? In response to our reporting in 2019, lawmakers pretty quickly introduced what would amount to be the most sweeping reforms to the judicial department in decades, specifically regarding the state's magistrate judges. Senator Tom Davis in Beaufort proposed what he's calling the Magistrate Reform Act, which would require far more legal training for the state's magistrates. It would add layers of uh, scrutiny to their appointments, and it would require that they disclose to the lawmakers who appoint them whether or not they had any disciplinary cases on their record. Because as the system stands, judges can have pending investigations and not have to disclose them to lawmakers before they are appointed, or they could be privately reprimanded, as they are in, in quite often, actually, in South Carolina. Um, so that that measure was introduced in December 2019, but it has stalled in the state Senate. It hasn't even received a legislative hearing. Joey, again, having looked into this uh, two years ago and then following along with the issue, what was your takeaway after this this latest look into the into the issue? What might be the the next thing to look at? Or the next thing to look out for in terms of our judicial system and the in the way that judges in, in South Carolina are disciplined. One of the bedrock ideas of the judicial system is the public's confidence in it. And, and I think the more we report on the people who are aggrieved by the system and who, who believe judges have behaved unethically, if not illegally. There are a lot of people in South Carolina who have lost confidence in this system. And I don't think it's unreasonable to expect the state's lawmakers and the state's court officials to try to restore some of that confidence. In the coming months, I think we will keep our eye on some of these proposals to reform the system that at the time received some attention, but since then haven't really gone anywhere. All right, listeners, that's all for today. Check out the Uncovered series homepage, which we will link in today's show notes, to read more investigative coverage about corruption in South Carolina. 
you have questions about this podcast or ideas for future episodes, write to us at understandsc at postingcareer.com or tweet us at understandsc. Thanks so much for listening. We will be back next week. Understand South Carolina is a production of The Post and Courier. Our music is by Billy Fountain. You can stream his music on Spotify at Billy Fountain. We'd love to know what you think of this show. You can reach us at understandsc at postandcourier.com or on Twitter at understandsc. If you're a fan of this show, please rate and review us on the Apple Podcasts app. Keep up with the latest headlines at postandcourier.com. We'll see you all next week. Thank you.